Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's How Do We Fix It with Richard and Jim. Is meaning better than happiness? Emily Asfahani-Smith. When we don't find meaning in life, there's negative consequences that result. People end up becoming more depressed, more likely to think about suicide, more alienated. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How How do do we we fix fix it? it? How do we fix it? So, Jim, today's guest says happiness is overrated, that living a life of meaning, connecting and contributing to something beyond yourself, usually brings a a better sense of well-being. Yeah, and we'll look at how alienation and belonging, or the lack of belonging, play a role in a lot of current affairs, and maybe even including the election of Donald Trump. Emily S. Fahani-Smith joins us via Skype from Washington, D.C. She's the author of the book, The Power of Meaning, Crafting a Life That Matters. Emily writes about culture, psychology, and relationships. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Now, Emily, we're a couple of months beyond uh, New Year's resolutions being made, but I believe, according to one study, it's like 45% of Americans resolve to be happier. Mm -hmm. So are we a long way from where we should be? It seems to me that we're constantly getting the message that we should be happier and that the whole point and purpose of life is to be happy. But at the end of the day, what people want is not so much happiness, but knowing that their lives are meaningful. And I think that when we don't find meaning in life, there's negative consequences that result. You know, people end up becoming more depressed, more likely to think about suicide, more alienated. So I think the happiness zeitgeist is part of this quick fix mentality that we think if we have problems in our lives, the solution is to make ourselves feel happy right now. And it works a lot of times because it's pretty easy to make yourself feel happy. But the happiness it dissipates. And what's more enduring is the satisfaction that comes from leading a meaningful life. You say that there's a difference between a happy life and a meaningful life. Tell us what you mean by that. A happy life is defined by things that make us feel good. So like sleeping in, eating sweets, um, going shopping, like how we feel moment to moment. Um, It's also been kind of provocatively associated with being a taker versus a giver, to use the language of Adam Grant at the Wharton School. A meaningful life is different. The defining feature of a meaningful life is 
connecting and contributing to something that's bigger than you are. And when researchers look at what what makes people feel like their lives are meaningful, it's usually things that are effortful. They can even be hard in the moment, like practicing a musical instrument, studying, reflecting on your values, cheering, cheering up someone who's down. But that ultimately kind of bring you a deeper sense of satisfaction and peacefulness. So in your book, you write about four aspects or pillars to meaning. What are they? I really wanted to know how we can each go about leading meaningful lives. So I interviewed dozens of people all across the country. I turned to this new and growing body of research in psychology. And I also looked at what the great thinkers in philosophy and literature had to say. And these four themes came up again and again in the research on what makes life meaningful. And they are one, a sense of belonging. So being in relationships where you feel valued and you feel like you matter and where you in turn treat other people like they're valued and like they matter. The second pillar was purpose, having something worthwhile to do with your time. Purpose and meaning, we we tend to use those terms interchangeably, but purpose is actually, it's a far-reaching goal that we think is important and that usually involves making some kind of contribution to the world. Um, Storytelling is the third pillar of meaning, and this is taking your experiences and weaving them into a narrative that explains who you are and where you came from. The final pillar, transcendence, is about those experiences where you feel small and yet connected to something much bigger. So religion is kind of a classic place where people experience transcendence through rituals and prayer and meditation. But you can, of course, experience this in more secular contexts as well, such as being in nature or listening to music or viewing a beautiful work of art. Okay, Jim, a test. The, the four things she mentioned, what are they? <laughs> they, are, um, they are belonging, purpose, storytelling, and transcendence. <laughs> well done. <laughs> so you mentioned churches. I thought when I was raising our kids that it was important for us to be in, in a faith community, partially to give them a sense of belonging. Did you find that? Yes, and... I grew up living in a Sufi meeting house in Montreal, which meant that twice a week, the Sufis would come over to our home and meditate for several hours. And Sufism is this kind of monastic, mystical tradition that's associated with Islam. And I know that it was an important source of meaning for my parents. And there really was this strong sense of love and service that I think amplified the sense of community. So there is something really powerful about the community that religion provides. The flip side of that, though, is that religion in our country and in the developed world is less important as a as a building block of meaning than it was in years past. Fewer people are going to church with a particular religion. So people have to find belonging and, and find those other pillars on their own. And I think that that's hard. It, it, it's a heavy burden to place on an individual's shoulders to, to go out and find meaning in the world. There are different examples that are non-religious. In your book, there's a fun example called the, the Society for Creative Anachronism in Cleveland. What is that? The members are united by this love of medieval history. So the members assume these medieval identities like, a, you know, king of such and such or duchess or duke of such and such. So the kingdoms, you know, put on these events. The event that I happened to go to was a coronation. And 
the atmosphere when I was there was really like a family reunion. And I think a big part of why there's such a strong sense of belonging is because the people who are drawn to this organization were not exactly the coolest kids in high school. They were a little bit nerdy, a little bit quirky, had these unusual interests. And they were always the weird one out. And um, just to be clear, they, they come from all walks of life, right? They, they, they're yeah. all kinds of different folks in normal life, and this is like a weekend pursuit. Exactly. So it's like it's like a hobby that they have on the side. Yeah, they, they're physicists and doctors and teachers, all, all kinds of people. And the people in the group really value them for the quirkiness that they have as part of their personality, a quirkiness that in the ordinary world makes people reject them or ostracize them is here kind of valued intrinsically. So it it builds this sense of belonging. So we were just talking about purpose and there's an interesting example of zookeepers who have manual labor jobs. Perhaps they're low skilled in many cases, but, but they have a sense of purpose very often. Why? It's really interesting with zookeepers, even though they don't make a whole lot of money, their jobs are physically difficult. Many of them felt drawn from a young age to care for animals. I interviewed one woman named Ashley Richmond, who is a zookeeper at the Detroit Zoo. And she told me that even though I spent 80% of my time shoveling animal waste from one place to another to keep the yards clean. I don't think of my purpose as shoveling animal poop. I think of my purpose as doing everything in my power to care for the animals and to ensure that their lives are as rich and as stimulating as possible. So you talk about humans being meaning-seeking creatures. Part of that Mm -hmm. process is storytelling. So storytelling helps us see what the narrative arc of our lives is. And and the reason it builds meaning is because it makes us feel like our lives are coherent and and have some kind of pattern uh, to them, a framework. There's a lovely example of the fourth building block, transcendence, um, when you visit Texas. I believe that you're at... uh, Marfa, Texas. Was Marfa, Texas? Yeah, with astronomers, right? Yeah, it's near Marfa. It's actually Fort Davis, Texas. Um, That's where the observatory is. It's out in West Texas in the Chihuahua Desert. And I went out there because this observatory is home to some of the darkest night skies in the United States, which means that it's a great place to do research on the stars, but it's also a great place to have a stargazing party, which is the observatory hosts these several times a week, I think. So I, I went out there and I was there with, you know, maybe a couple hundred other people. And we were sitting in this amphitheater as our guide pointed out all the different stars and the constellations to us. And I stayed the night and I woke up after the moon had set to go out and see the stars. And I had never seen shooting stars before, but that evening I saw one after another and the sky was just dotted with millions of stars. And it makes you think how small we are in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, and, it's, kind of, it's kind of counterintuitive that you, yeah. you feel small in the grand scheme of things. And yet somehow you're also awestruck. Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, the word awe, the root of it kind of takes us to the word awesome, but also to the word awful, because there is this kind of ambiguity about the state. You do feel like overwhelmed by something beautiful, but it's also terrifying because you it makes you feel so small. 
We're speaking with Emily Asfahani-Smith, the author of the book, The Power of Meaning, Creating a Life That Matters. This is How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs, and it's crafting a life. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. If that matters. So one thing that you talk about, Emily, in the book is a lot of these things that people do to pursue purpose are hard work, you know, shoveling manure or, or learning an instrument. And you talk about astronomers and, mm-hmm. and other fields that are not easy and they're not mm-hmm. comfortable. And I'm beginning to think that maybe part of the theme here is that in our modern societies where we put such a high emphasis on comfort, on avoiding pain, we also perhaps insulate ourselves from the opportunity to really feel a sense of achievement. I think I think that's right. The idea that you know that we should constantly be striving for happiness or a life of comfort and ease is kind of directly at odds with the pursuit of a meaningful life. And some of the most important experiences that we have to craft a narrative around are experiences of adversity and and suffering and loss and, and trauma. And I think that if we're kind of living underneath a happiness zeitgeist, what we would be encouraged to do is after those experiences, just kind of brush them aside and try not to think about them again. Whereas what we should do is spend some time reflecting on it, even if it is painful, to try to make sense of it and and how, how that experience fits into the broader mosaic of our lives. Let's bring politics into this. You wrote a really interesting article recently in the in New York Magazine, and, and we'll have a, a link to it at our website, howdowefixit.me. Um, it's, the article suggests that, that belonging, and, and in some cases lack of belonging, contributed to Donald Trump's election win. I think that's right. I think a lot of people are you know quick to disparage Trump supporters as as you know, racist and sexist and and whatever else, but um, and you know certainly I'm, I'm sure some of them are. But I think that what they were attracted to in Trump wasn't necessarily his you know ideas about you know race and and, and sex, but they felt that finally here was a candidate who represented them and was giving them a voice. Many of the white working class voters who voted for him. They felt disenfranchised. Um, they felt that these, you know, larger economic forces had kind of taken their jobs away, had taken away their worth and their value in society, taken away their, so they, their role. They, they felt they didn't belong. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. And and so, you know, here was somebody who was giving them a voice and promising them that, that he would build a certain kind of society where they would have a, a place, a role, a, a sense of belonging. 
and a sense of purpose maybe too. I mean, one, one exactly. thing we, we see come up again and again is the low participation of, of able-bodied men in the workforce, a lack, of, a lack of purpose, a lack of engagement with other people doing something important must be extremely demoralizing. Mm, yeah, de- definitely. And, and I think that this is where purpose and belonging almost overlap because, you know, we want to know that our lives matter. And so when it comes to belonging, we want to know that our we matter to other people. And when it comes to purpose, we want to know that the things that we do matter, that we're actually kind of making a mark on society, contributing through the work that we do. And if we feel like we don't have that, then you know, there's, there's this kind of sense of alienation. Like what, what's the point of what, what, what's the point of me? Like, I'm not doing anything that gives back. One thing I really liked in your book was you go back through some really great historical examples of writers and thinkers and even magazines that mm-hmm. have attempted to solicit ideas about meaning. You talk about the philosopher, Will Durant, but you also mm-hmm. talked about an old issue of life magazine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the editors of Life uh, several decades ago wrote to the luminaries of, of the day and asked them, you know, what makes your life meaningful? So people as varied as, you know, Richard Nixon and the Buddha to, you know, popular. I'm sorry, not the Buddha. Can I, can <laughs> that I, would be me, a trick. Let, yeah. <laughs> let, let me do that one again. That's, so. Sure. Yeah. Well, we, we might we might include your uh, your, <laughs> okay. your misstatement. <laughs> OK. Yeah. OK. Not the Buddha, but the Dalai Lama and everyone in between to ask them what makes their lives meaningful. And what was really interesting was just how individual each of the responses were. So, you know, Madeline Lengel, the the novelist who wrote A Wrinkle in Time, talked about storytelling as a builder of meaning. Um, this cell biologist, Joan Borisenko, talked about a really beautiful experience of somebody checking out of a grocery store and sharing just a small moment of connection with the, the teenager who was bagging her groceries. He felt, it looked like he, he felt depressed and this individual said, you know, it's, it's okay. Like everything's going to be okay. And there was a real sense of humanity there. Um, so it, all kinds of different answers were, were given. So let's talk a little bit about what can we do about all this? Talk to us about some ways that we can challenge these modern tendencies away from meaning. I'll, I'll give uh, two examples. So one has to do with belonging and when we think of belonging, we usually think of, you know, c- communities that we need to feel a sense of belonging to. And certainly in, in the U.S., communities have been dissolving. People feel lonelier and, and more socially isolated. But I think that one way out of this is to remember that belonging really exists in moments between two people and that it's a choice that we can make. So we can choose to invite someone else to belong, or we can choose to reject them. And this could be with anyone who we happen to interact with. It could be, you know, when you go to the grocery store and you're checking out, uh, you know, having a conversation with the person who's checking you out instead of just conducting a transaction with them. It could be, you know, when your husband or wife comes home and they're telling you about your day to put away your phone and not scroll through it as tempted as you might be, because that sends them a signal that they're that they're not valued to you or not as valued as your whatever's happening on your phone. Should uh, teaching in schools yeah. and colleges reflect this a little bit? Should there be more of a push towards studying the importance of of meaning? I think there I think there should be. It used to be that that was, you know, colleges and universities 
the undergraduate education was built around this quest for meaning that, you know, students read the great books and kind of debated the question of, of what a good life is. And that's not happening so much anymore. And I think it's a real loss because especially as, you know, religion becomes less important for people and young people, they, they don't have venues anywhere to really think about what, what the meaning of their lives is. And so education would be a perfect place because it's a, it's something that they all go through and they're at the right age for it as well. And, and in terms of finding solutions to the lack of meaning, you said you had a couple of mm-hmm. examples of that. What's, what's your other one? It's recognizing that purpose isn't some grand thing. Like you're, you're, you, don't, you don't have to work on a cure for cancer or write the great American novel to lead a purposeful life. Purpose is just really about doing something that makes a contribution to other people or to the world. So if, you're, if you feel like your life doesn't have purpose right now, I think that one way to get more purpose is to ask yourself, you know, what's one thing that I can do today? What's one thing that I can do tomorrow to make someone's life a little bit better? It could be something as grand as curing cancer, or it could be something more local, like, you know, being a really good parent or a good neighbor or a good colleague at work. Emily Asfahani smith thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Jim, I was excited about doing this show. Um, and also other episodes that connect with this show, ones we did on gratitude with Janice Kaplan and on the importance of meeting strangers with Keo Stark. And as I was thinking about asking Emily to speak to us, I was reading David Brooks's terrific book, The Road to Character, which makes some similar parallel arguments to this book, The Power of Meaning. Well, I was excited about it because, uh, like me, Emily was a philosophy major at Dartmouth College. <laughs> oh, it's all about you. <laughs> and um, But, you know, philosophy is one of those topics that people used to go to college to think about the meaning of life and their place in the universe. And over time, and when students are surveyed, you see less and less concern for developing your own kind of theory of life or your, approach your to life. Your life philosophy, yeah. Uh, and more emphasis on... on you know, making money. Well, making money is important. And especially people who aren't that financially secure when they go to college, you can't blame them to want to come out with a good career in hand. But I do think the process of intellectual discovery and whether or not it's specifically philosophy, but of, you know, encountering the great minds of history is really an important part of this journey. I love what she said about storytelling, hearing other people's stories, hearing her story, uh, I think is, is really, it's a key part of the human experience. And I think that she is talking about happiness. I think what she's saying is that, that if you just pursue instant gratification that's not going to make you happy but that if you have some purpose in your life some belonging in your life there's something that you're passionate about you're actually much more likely to be happy with that in mind than if you just simply make it your goal to say uh, eat a eat a terrific steak every day well one of the things that i thought was fascinating was you know everybody knows there's relatively high rates of suicide in some of the scandinavian countries and we think it's because it's dark and gloomy but what most people don't know is that they also have very high self-reported rates of happiness. So she she alluded to this, maybe this this desire to be happy uh, it, when you don't achieve it for a time leads to more profound 
depression, whereas pursuing meaning, it, she shows that that has a more enduring impact. And I think there's one other important thing that, that Emily said in several different ways is you, you don't have to change the world to mm-hmm. do this. Um, I have my own personal story that last year the, the kids had left the house and, and things are going fairly well for me. And I decided to, to volunteer, to, to, uh, to tutor a child reading, like one, two hours a week. Not, no big deal. But it, that's, that's made me feel I have a greater sense of purpose. It could be the littlest things. Yeah. My wife and I were hiking on the beach out at Montauk at the tip of Long Island last week. And at one point, she picked up some trash off the beach. I happened to have an empty plastic bag in my backpack. And as we walked, we just picked up trash. Not a big deal. But when we dumped that bag of trash, you felt in, good, right? In, you know, in the garbage when we got back to the lighthouse, <laughs> it was like we hadn't just taken a hike for ourselves. We'd done a little tiny something to make the world better. Jim, time's up. How do we fix it? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And our producer is Miranda Schaefer. The music is by Lou Stravinsky. And our social media coordinator, Julia Beckett Lewis. Thanks for joining us. The show is produced by Davies Content. We make digital audio for companies and nonprofits at DaviesContent.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.